0: Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Connor Olsen, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is Olof Hooverfelt, principal consultant for strategy and business design at the Finnish technology company Reaktor. I wanted to bring Olof on to talk about one of his specialty subjects, namely artificial intelligence. Olof is also a writer and a public speaker, and I had the pleasure of watching one of his lectures on this subject during my visit in Helsinki two weeks ago. In this conversation, Olof talks about why working with AI is about leading what you cannot see, how studying the technologies of the past can help us understand AI, which industries are doing the most exciting work around AI, including healthcare, and why understanding language is a key factor in discovering new medical treatments. We also talk about his side project of tracking every garment in his closet and how much he wears them. I had a great time doing this conversation with Olof and I look forward to doing many more. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. I'd like to thank the Helio co-working Space for hosting us in their podcast studio. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and events. Visit ScandinavianMind.com slash newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Olof Hooverfeld. Enjoy. I am here with Olof Hooverfeld, Principal Consultant for Strategy and Business Design at Reaktor, uh, based out of Helsinki, Finland. Olof, thank you for being here in Stockholm today. Thank you. Nice for having me. I feel... Uh, I've been so excited about this. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence. It's a topic that I'm you know, super excited about. It's a topic that a lot of people think about. Uh, and I think just, you know, right out the way... Um, Talk a little bit about the definitions here. How do you define artificial intelligence to begin with?
1: Oh, that's an excellent question. <laughs> and there's a lot of debate about what is artificial intelligence. There's a lot of, uh, well, discussion around it. Well, first of all, I, I think we should just state the distinction between what's called general artificial intelligence, right. which, is, uh, which is the kind of thinking of something. Well, th- that's the end of the world scenarios and, and all, the, all the kind of big risk <laughs> scenarios. Um, And and then uh, narrow or specific uh, artificial intelligence. So whenever I talk about artificial intelligence and we we do that professionally, we Mm. mean the the specific kind. And uh, within that, we we tend to think of artificial intelligence as something that's uh, capable of making decisions independently. Uh, a system that that can accomplish something uh, without help from outside. That's one very kind of understandable, mm. perhaps, mm. Uh, way of thinking about it. So we don't need to invoke uh, kind of these uh, um, very esoteric uh, kinds of comparison to human intelligence, but rather where, whether it's a system or a tool or something that, that can uh, face an obstacle it hasn't faced before and figure out what to do and, and kind of resolve it by itself. Uh, that that's something that that's a fairly understandable definition,
0: right? And talk a little bit about the the how you why are you interested in this, and, and does it you know apply to the the work that you do, or or is it more like a, of 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 an interest of yours?
1: Oh, it's 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 both. I'm lucky to be in the position that it's both. Mm-hmm. So um, at, at Reactor, we we're consultants. We build. Uh, digital services and products mm. for and with our clients. So, so that's the kind of natural setting where I'm coming from. Uh, I've been interested personally in technology, uh, well, for a very long time. Mm. I remember um, uh, my dad taught me to taught me programming back in the days. I was 12 years old. Uh, I started with Pascal on this monochrome screen. Mm. Um, so ever <laughs> since, I've been fiddling around with with programming. So. I would like to think that I'm I'm I've been around with technol- like digital technology for for quite some time. Um, what I work with is the the business side of it or or the the benefits of technology, if if you like. Yeah. So so uh, and, and those are the projects uh, that I work on, and and that's the the topic in the projects that I work with. So uh, I'm not a technology expert within artificial intelligence but what i do work with is with clients um companies but also ngos non-profit organizations and their likes around what might be the the possibilities and opportunities um around how technology could could help improve things Mm. Uh, and part of that is artificial intelligence
0: you, uh, for starters, we should be, you know, uh, mentioned that you've you've been uh, uh, profiled in the Scandinavian Mind platform before. You've yes. you're, you're featured in our latest uh, uh, print magazine, which we're really happy about. And I was actually in Helsinki a couple of weeks ago, and and, and heard you talk about this topic at an event at your offices. And and you talked about, uh, the, I think the topic was, uh, in the veins of how to lead when you cannot see what you lead, which. Kind of the way you define this is is kind of where we are when it comes to ai it 's mm. a new way of, of tackling problems. What do you mean by not being able to see what you lead? Can you talk about that
1: sure sure yes i, I, I have I have used this way of thinking about ai of, of the idea of extended cognition. Mm. Mm. and it's been it's been fairly helpful and if we if we take a brief history into into what we mean let's do it we have a yeah. podcast we have some time so. oh perfect <laughs> lovely so so we, we start like 5,000 years ago and, and really think that about... that long ago Yes. I'm sorry no I'm <laughs> kidding
0: continue No, but
1: let, let's go back to to like a very very a very long time ago so to start with uh, when when humankind in, invented the first tool of what we might think of as extended cognition mm. and by extended cognition we mean a means of of representing thought somehow outside the mind. And this was a, a device called the Abacus. It's this, um, uh, f- most people are familiar with this, like you have these pearls to, c- to cal- do simple calculus on. Yeah, yeah but
0: kids but, still buy them in sort of yeah, certain toy stores today. Yes, and
1: kids learn to, learn to count with them. Mm. Uh, but, but that was actually the first device of extended cognition. So for one person to, to extend their mind into the real world mm. and for somebody else also to take part of that. So so, and then if we take fast forward a bit, uh, and we we come to the Enlightenment, uh, the age, and that was actually Descartes was the first person to. Point out uh, that thought or the idea of a distinction between general a- AI, what would later become called general idea, a general artificial intelligence, and specific was, general intelligence.
0: So, AGI was that long ago. Uh,
1: that was far, like a long time before techn- that kind of technology right. or anything. But but he but he saw the the distinction mm. in terms of t- of intelligence between something that's generally intelligent and something that that's uh, uh, for a specific reason. Mm. Um, and then, if we continue, so that was just a kind of funny anecdote on the on the line of history <laughs> here. But, but then we had, of course, the the Industrial Revolution came after that. And and something we can learn, uh, as I think of it, from the Industrial Revolution is that was the first time technology made a very significant impact on on human human life and human productivity. So before that, we used to, and this is, if, if we if we think of it as power, so people before used to be the source of power and the steerer of power. So right. if you needed to, to dig a ditch, you would take a shovel and you would be the power source and the kind of steering mechanism for it. So the steam engine and the industrial revolution really changed that. So that was the first time humankind faced this problem of how do, well, this is really a large change, and that's changed the life of a lot of people. So and and in the similar in, in the similar way what happened was that power became democratized so so later with the electrification of things no longer did you have to have this uh, massive steam engine at the uh, center of the factory uh, it's a fairly common uh, analogy or way of thinking that it took uh, 25 years for factories that used to be powered by a steam engine in the middle to, to really use the benefits of electrification, of distributed power. Right. So what they used to do was they put this very large electric engine in the middle, and then they would still have all these uh, gadgets to to kind of transfer the power. So that took quite a long time to just adapt the mindset to, hey, why, what kinds of opportunities does it enable to put this distributed power all over the place instead into the sewing machines and all that was in the factory? So, But that's kind of the learning. That, that took quite some time. And then we entered the information age, which mm. was like from 59 onwards uh, up until 91 roughly when, uh, when that was like uh, the internet was was born in a way. And what's, what's uh, special about that period was that Uh, For the first time, um, humans uh, invented ways to, to going back to this uh, thinking of, of extended cognition. So that was the first time we could put larger and larger amounts of data, of structured data, onto our infrastructures. They were analog in the beginning, then they became digital. But what's significant about this age, in the same manner as, as power was democratized, so was digital information storage was, in a way, democratized. So no longer did you have to have handwritten spreadsheets and the likes. So that was a massive increase in the volume of data humans could process. Okay, so, so that, that was, like a, in a way, the second big change, if you like. But then, um, what? Uh, now we come to this artificial intelligence <laughs> kind of age. We might think of it as the AI age, and uh, I think it was uh, Watson uh, won Jeopardy back in ninety-seven. Yeah. Um, so, so that's just like it was quite. Do some you time think it ago. begins
0: there? You call that well, the beginning of an uh, AI age?
1: Well, uh, from a research perspective, AI has been around for much longer. Yeah. But from a kind of applied. AI that seems to be able to create some kind of value that that people understand. Right. Um, I I wouldn't use that as a heuristic to start an age necessarily, <laughs> <laughs> but but certainly we we begin to see applications that we can understand how they work mm. and and uh, and oh, actually we'll get back to that we can actually not understand how they work but we we kind of understand the results of their work.
0: Which is scary. We could talk which, about which,
1: that. Yeah, which is which is scary indeed. Uh, but then the 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 progression from then onwards has been uh, very um, quick and and, and increasing, mm. and and uh, especially. The 2000s and, and 2010s were an age of uh, of uh, deep learning. Of when we talk about AI, we typically or often mean machine learning. Hmm. So so which is uh, neural networks, and and then, and then we apply machine learning to specific uh, problems that we might have. And and this is an area where computing power and also uh, well technology has evolved. And especially lately, we've had significant uh, improvements in language models. Um, and this is this is how we can see we we saw the supervised learning, which is basically machine learning applied to something that we teach the 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 ai if, if you like to call it that uh, look this is uh, 1000 images of of let's say a, a cat mm. and then it it teaches itself somehow uh, this is supervised learning and then uh, we then uh, came along unsupervised learning and then reinforcement learning and there's a lot there's been a lot happening but what's really this uh, i think remarkable of, of of about this age we might call the ai age in a way is that Unlike all previous uh, paradigm shifts, this is one that we cannot understand. This is one that we cannot see. That's what I mean when I talk about how do you lead something you cannot see. Because unlike the information age, when we put vast amounts of data onto our technology or onto our data infrastructures, we could still understand it. It was deterministic in a way. It was, uh, it, it was rule-based most of the time. Or we had just vast amounts of data, vast amounts of, of let's say, rules and processing. It, it, we understood how it worked. Mm. But what we're doing now, what we're seeing now, especially with, uh, with the, these uh, machine learning applications, is that we do not, that's uh, in the nature of, of artificial intelligence, we do not know how it does what it does. Or technology-wise, we understand how it works, but we cannot figure out how it ended up uh, classifying this as a cat or, or a chihuahua or a bun. <laughs> we cannot know that. So that's the very big change as I see it, that, that now for the first time, we have these increasing massive infrastructures of data representation that are implicit. We don't understand them. And, uh, and so that's what's remarkably different. Before, you had this uh, vast amounts of data, and you could understand it, but now mm. we can't. And this is the scary part, I guess, that we're kind of and relying <coughs> on things that we don't see.
0: I have so many questions. Okay. But uh, thank <laughs> you for this sort of history lesson. Uh, uh, and and uh, I think we covered quite a lot in just a few few minutes. But sure. Um so just one specific question when you have this approach and you talk about we're not really knowing uh the full extent of this technology or, or how it's being uh, uh applied um does that is that like a long-term perspective or is it even going into projects where you are using uh, sort of some of these tools that you you're not really sure about what the outcome is <laughs> Yes, it's,
1: well, I would say it's not going away because it's in the nature of the technology itself or artificial, conceptually of artificial intelligence. Mm. So we might take a very kind of simple example of a classifier, of of the, the kind of general problem um, is there a palm tree in this image? Type mm. Of, of, mm. Of, of of like fairly simple classification problem. So we can, uh, if, if we talk about like supervised learning, w- w- that I mentioned, we we tag a bunch of photos and then we kind of train the network to right. to recognize them. But we don't know how we can 't see how it ends up doing so and and this brings uh, with it some s- certain issues such as uh, uh, the the, f- the kind of famous example of of uh, recognizing horses outside in, in a, like uh, well captive horses hmm. and then and then at some point uh, was discovered that actually this algorithm uh, has has is fairly good at recognizing when there are horses in the image, but it it focuses on the white um, the the fencing around. Horses, because typically, if you have a horse outside, somewhere there's a white fence. <laughs> ah, so that's one way. Of of kind of figuring one out reference that it's probably using, a yeah. horse, yeah. So so that's just as an example that we sum, we don't understand how it does it, hmm. but we can through these types of observations see that ah it would seem like it's focusing on this white fencing hmm. as one indicator of of that increases the possibility or the probability that this is a horse. But maybe going back to your question, I would say that so we will we will. It's in the nature of the technology. We can't understand how it does it, but we can see from the outcomes of time and, and seek to understand it. I, I tend to think of it, that's why I like the idea of extended cognition, that it's, it's, not, it's not very unlike children growing up, because we can think that in the same way, they are this being of, capable of, of, of observing its surroundings, and then it does interacts with it. It learns things, uh, and, uh, and, and then it's, it's really hard to tell when, it, when, it, when a little child can recognize a cat. Hmm. It was at no point in time was it like taught this is a cat, but it kind of collected data and and maybe mom commented that, oh, look at that kitty or cat over there. And it just over time grew this understanding of what the concept of cat is. Hmm. And then a child can recognize a cat from a cartoon or from a video or a real cat walking about. So these can be very visually different. But still, the child is able to recognize that as a cat. So this, in the same way, <clears throat> in a, in, when we train our algorithms or our neural networks, we, we can't really tell, just as with the kid, we can't really tell what is it that makes this little child recognize that cat we just rec- we just see that it does mm.
0: well this goes into one of the criticism about <clears throat> uh, you know up, uh, applying machine learning to to certain systems specifically when it comes to sort of reading uh, imagery and, mm. and 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 so forth and that is what are the biases that we you know sort of input into mm. these type of systems uh, there have been several examples where where um you, you sort of you, you monitor people in in, in border uh, control and that type of stuff, and you know uh, the the systems become biased based on uh, previous data on perhaps criminals and what they look like and uh, that type of thing. How much of a problem is this? Do you think do you think it would be uh, something that that the, so AI can sort of unlearn or, or new one, bring about nuance in, in and of itself, or do we as humans have to sort of uh, Tag along to to uh, to train it. That's
1: that's yes, that, that's a great question, and it is a big concern, mm. and uh, and uh, that's one reason why we need to somehow make, uh, sometimes make a distinction between explainable AI, which is such that we can actually audit it and see, make sure that it that there's nothing like hidden w- within nothing of significance from the point of view of what should not happen. Mm. Uh, and that's a whole field of itself. It's explainable AI, which weakens the AI because we have these requirements. What in, do you mean by
0: explainable weakens. AI?
1: Explainable AI means means that that they we, we can apply it to things uh, that are okay that we don't understand, hmm. because if we think about uh, if we think about applying AI to make decisions. But classifying stuff is one thing. It might be in in, in the criminal justice system, like you mentioned. It might be in taxation. It might be just the flagging because AI is really good at 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 recognizing patterns, or that's what it does. That's what mm. people do. That's what our cognition does. Really, uh, it's just uh, very complex patterns. Like recognizing a cat is a kind of a pattern matching, also. So so as long as it's kind of flagging things that hey, this is something that maybe you should look at, uh, that's fine. Because then a human takes over. We tend to rely on humans to be to be better for some reason still. Right. <laughs> but uh, but but then so that's kind of that's that's okay from an explainable perspective. But if we extend uh, the application of of, of the technology to actually decide things that we have uh, input various inputs, let's say of our person, and outcomes, let's say uh, a verdict mm. or, or something of great significance. Then, uh, if we have AI that's not explainable, then we just have to trust that. Well, that's what, uh, kind of put in a simple way, that's what the computer says. <laughs> so, explainable AI is 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 the kind of form where that is not acceptable. That we need to be able to audit what it does.
0: And are you generally hopeful? What What are some of the Let's talk about some of the applications that you are kind sort of excited about. Where uh, uh, just current or recent? Just any example that that, that comes to mind. Oh yeah, that,
1: I'm I'm hopeful uh, definitely. And uh, on that note, I, I would like to just just perhaps add that. Uh, in, in the applications that we work with also mm. or the domains where we work with. Of course, we're sensitive to this bias issue. Uh, we, we need to be. Uh, but like you described, uh, the, the bias of AI is is just like you said. It's only reflecting what it learns. So mm. it... And, and this is why it's it's important to make a distinction between what, what we might think of as general AI, which would be this... Uh, Uh, The consensus among researchers and the community is that that's still a long time away, like decades away, if we ever get there. (laughs) So we can park that for now. Uh, So we don't talk about AI that kind of figures out the biases, but but rather we have AI that takes vast amounts of data as input Mm. and then creates these often very complex models of the world. Language models is a good example. We might take the example of, of, let's say, uh, I, th- I think we talked about this example that if you take if you take um, Paris minus France plus Germany, uh, the, the language model might say, well, uh, Berlin. Because it kind of has this very complex map of meanings between words, and as a very simple example, it can figure out that oh, if you have okay Paris, lots of things about Paris. If you remove France, well, then you're kind of left with the concept of capital, mm. capital city. Right. If you then add uh, another country like Germany, then okay, then we might have uh, Berlin. Uh, so this is this is an example of of uh, uh, of, an, of an of an algorithm that can't it doesn 't understand any of the terms it 's dealing with, but it has a very very uh, kind of nuanced model of how phrases relate to each other mm. so so that 's kind of the output and this is something we use in in, uh, in, well, in projects with our clients in in pharmaceutical research for instance, in energy optimization, and the like. But maybe on a quick note still about bias so so if as AI is as good as what goes into it. <laughs> We can use AI also to spot bias, sure. Mm. But 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 one, one thing we should just um, be careful about is we cannot rely on it to kind of figure it out for us. And we should also not blame the AI for being biased. It's really ourselves being biased when we teach.
0: <laughs> well, just the notion of blaming AI <laughs> is like talking about it as a person or something. Yeah. Uh, we'll get back to AI. I'm curious yeah. about your predictions there. But, but uh, do you think, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, from Scandinavian mind perspective, that we talk a lot about what distinguishes us here in the Nordics are, is our values and mm-hmm. that we have a different value system uh, than the rest of the world. Do you think that you can um, teach AI values? That's an, <clears throat> that's an excellent
1: question. I, I have to think for a bit because values is such a, such a complex, nuanced concept. Mm. But I'm thinking that I do believe we can Teach. It's. I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility, because we can teach AI uh, to to put things a bit simply. Teach it uh, very complex language things, and language is the logic of uh, language is the means of logic for people also. Mm. So so that's really how we structure the world cognitively, how we like think of the make sense of the world, and we've come really far uh, with AI understanding language and understanding how things relate to each other. So I would say that, uh, I mean, morals for, or values are close to morals. Mm. And, and if we look at some moral classification, for instance, if we use uh, heights, um, uh, like fairly famous five plus one dimensions. So there are something like, like, uh, like if something is like the, the value of care versus harm. So, so so that's kind of that's one then sanctity is one whether something is just wrong that's the maybe the most difficult to understand uh, fairness is one dimension of moral philosophy in this uh, in this way of thinking so I'm just thinking that can we teach AI values I think that's a very good question and then to me it comes back to what are values what are they based on moral foundations okay how can we somehow model those so that an AI can somehow grasp what it's about but I do think that we can definitely through the logic of language uh, kind of build some kind of, of a basic understanding of what humans tend to think about values.
0: You keep referring back to language, which I mm-hmm. think is very interesting, and there's been quite a lot of developments when it comes to uh, uh, this concept of, of uh, GP3, uh, GPT-3, yes. which well, is not a concept, it's a technology, right? So can you give me kind of like the state of play of, of language language uh, Un, like AI understanding language, using language, uh, uh, writing mm-hmm. uh, yes. as such. Just talk about where we are right now.
1: Oh, so GPT three is is actually is is a one of the latest language models. Mm. So and what language models are, and and what's really uh, been the development lately has been that they become much much more like exponentially larger. Yeah, meaning more phrases, more connections, and that's typical of uh, of AI as as we speak of it or as we understand it here. So if you have a kind of very simple language model, let's say for some specific area, then then you might create connections between. Uh, a concept like what we have here in the studio. We have glass, we have water, we have a jar, like a, a jug. Uh, we can like connect these. These are more related to each other than mm-hmm. let's say the the floor paneling and, the, and the, or, or the wall paneling, you know, and, and the silencers and the microphones. So that kind of stuff, we, we kind of understand that, yeah, these are closer to each other than those. So that's the kind of things that language models do. But what's, uh, what's interesting with, with AI as I think of it is this uh, technology enables to mimic the human way of creating connections between things uh, but on a whole different uh, scale and therein lies the opportunity as i think of it uh, for applying ai so we can typically ai models can well as i said they can be so much more complex than people could ever grasp and uh, and as a practical implementation what we use uh, language models for for instance is in uh, pharmaceutical research Uh, we, we might take an algorithm to to use a language model to go through tens of thousands of research papers on a specific area of Mm. of disease and also the molecules being researched. And then find patterns in all of this, like from a data perspective, unstructured data, it's like these research papers, but then figure out what what has a relation to what. And then, for instance, uh, uh, come to the conclusion that Parkinson's, it seem there's something about parkinsons that links these things mm. and then that might be a good input for humans to to continue looking into so that's really where where language models have 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 grown they are simply larger and it it must be said that uh, creating a language model is very very computationally intensive mm. uh, but using it in a way is very quick or very kind of efficient it's not I mean, there are, there are the reasons why it's called artificial intelligence, because it kind of mimics human intelligence in a way. Mm. So uh, so I, I tend to think of it like, okay, I'm 41 years old. Uh, and then I'm thinking that, oh, so I spent, well, cognitively, actively, I don't know when I became aware of myself. <laughs> Let's play with the thought that 35 years I've spent trying to figure out the world. <clears throat> In a way, so I built this, and you have too, and every person has built their own way of, mm. of trying to figure out the world. So that's very much like building a language model. It's immensely uh, computationally heavy to create the model, but then when I face something, when I enter this room where I see a cat, it's like instant. I uh, it it kind of spits out what I what I kind of. Uh, ask of it, right? So
0: you don't need a quantum computer to just uh, speak it or or apply um, it.
1: No, you no, you you need the mo- you can <clears throat> apply the model, and that doesn't take a whole lot of computation. But no. but to create the model, and that's why these models are so are so remarkable. That uh, that it it's not for anyone to create the language model. At no. least not one that would compete with the state of the art language models that we
0: have. Because it seems to me that this. I mean, when I think of of, of AI and and the kind of Jump um, uh, well, first of all, I think it's interesting that because I know discovering different medications is one of the the, the really unlocks of AI and the, where it really can help humanity uh, but i didn't know that it was actually l- the language model was kind of like the foundation of it. I thought it was you know something else like you know uh, simulating chemical processes and stuff like oh,
1: that there can be many other sh- for sure i'm I'm sure many mm. other applications also. Uh, but but this is one, and this yeah. is and this is uh, this is uh, this specific example uh, of using language models is because the research paper, the, the data that it takes in is in that format. Right. So if we and in, in a similar way, we know a fair amount of chemistry and, and like molecular biology and stuff like that. It might be in other formats. That's fine too. It's just a way to to again bring data into 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 um, this uh, algorithm, then then seeks patterns. In it, and yeah. this is one way.
0: But don't you think? I mean, GPT three. I, from what I've learned, and as a writer, I think it's scary as hell. Of course, I'm going to be completely obsolete yeah. in in a moments time. Um, but I also think, you know, because we, we are kind of surrounded by, by, by these technologies all the time and you have them in, you know, Spotify recommendation engines and stuff like that. It's kind of utilities mm-hmm. sprinkled around our lives that we kind of use and I don't think we think about them that much. We're kind of annoyed if they don't work or, you know, if my daughter played the wrong artist on my Spotify oh, account sure. you start getting <laughs> recommendations. But, but I think in terms of language and, you know, we have these kind of smart speakers around us and they're kind of blunt still and they're not really the <laughs> Um, you always, you know, I have a Google assistant at home. I use Siri for my f- phone and so forth. You always, can, after a few interactions, you kind of you stumble into a wall, right? They can't understand or, 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 yeah. or, or with the likes. But to me, like, if if we're going to, you know, get to a point soon where our machines can either write to us or talk to us in a way that kind of passes the, the, um, the Turing, oh, the Turing test. test. The Turing oh, yes, test. Yes. <laughs> and that would become, that would be like the first experience Experience of having the machines kind of interact with us on a human-like level. Do you think we're close to that at all, or maybe that's, maybe it even exists in certain parts? Or where do you see that?
1: I think I think again, it's it's a continuum, or maybe a kind of a spread, or mm. or a. A distribution. Right. So some simple things, like Google at a conference, uh, at this f- famous kind of conference where their AI was put live on stage to make an appointment to yeah. I think it was a hairdresser. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that. And <laughs> yeah, the hairdresser didn't realize it was an AI they talked to. Uh, for for th- simple things like adding a little hmm, uh, hmm like, yeah. like this kind of...
0: But it's pretty predictable interaction, yeah. yes, yes. right? Yes, so
1: this was a very kind of contained, simple... It was not not scripted, mm. which is to be noted. So it's a kind of uh, very specific AI application, if you mm. like to think of it like that. But but on a on a kind of side note on that, actually, it's it's a characteristic of AI that it doesn't only look at oh what are the words I'm supposed to say, but it looks like oh people when they talk, they seem to say ah mm, uh, mm, like right. pause, and stuff like that. Like the so, white
0: fence example that you use. Yes. Like there's yes. other details. That All we, sorts of so. yeah, yeah, it
1: takes in like everything. And then and then learns to use that. Hmm. So so for instance, if, if, if the voice goes up at the end, oh that would be a question and then there tends to be a pause. Oh, and it seems like if there's a I'm now speculating, but if there's if somebody asks something and there's a longer pause then there te- they might tend to be a more complex answer, for mm. instance. Mm. I mean it really can pick up on all sorts of stuff like this, mm. and this is the reason why these models become so complex because there's space for got like sixty million dimensions or two hundred million dimensions or one billion dimensions It's like we don't we can't really understand the breadth of or the complexity of, 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 of like how it, it figures out w- what it does right um, but but going back to language so i think that we're growing more and more sophisticated at simulating our interactions in a more holistic way mm. so chat is one that the original turing test was actually test uh, like only text in a kind of interactive um, setting so we, uh, that didn't include the, the kind of vo- audio <laughs> signals that mm. we send all mm. over mm. the place uh, so i think that we're getting we're getting ahead but i think we're a kind of uh, still far from, from being, like, securely fooled uh, by AI flight. Right. Of course, we have deep fakes and all this new kind of problem of, of oh, we can't actually tell. We have voice voice synthesizers that are so good mm. that it's really difficult to tell tell apart what is real and what is not. And that opens up a whole new world of, of problems, like how do we relate to evidence if we have photo or video evidence? Sure. Well, if you can recreate that... What's the? How can we tell the real, kind of real, real evidence from what might have been um, um, a, a fake version of of something?
0: Well, you can see it, certainly see a situation where two if different AIs, one fake AI, trying to sort of uh, be unveiled by the 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 relay eye uh, in the courtroom perhaps yes um, no but you know one of my favorite movies on this topic is the movie her uh, Spike Jones oh, with yes. with Joaquin Phoenix I think it's now six or seven years old yes. Um and I and it's one of the most interesting kind of futuristic visions because it's really down to earth uh, it's really not that far out in terms of these sort of uh, you know lavish visions of of mm. of of a kind of like a new techie world with flying cars and 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 such people are kind of bored. They have boring jobs. Uh, they can't, you know, function with each other. They have different, like human human interactions that are problematic. And in it, he uh, installs an AI in his computer that he eventually falls in love with. Uh, I'm 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 guessing if you have Scarlett Johansson in your ear all day long, uh, uh, I would it, imagine. <laughs> it would be <laughs> easy to 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 uh, do fall in love. But I think what's interesting is they actually use audio. Mm. as that's the medium yes. um which i think um was actually a good kind of good prediction to to where we are going uh, in in terms of ai um do you have any other um personal examples of where pop culture have have sort of uh, paved the way for some of these concepts oh that's a, that's a very interesting thought
1: uh maybe maybe a quick note on her I think, and uh, and now I have to like highlight a spoiler alert for for any any listener who yeah, wants yeah, to yeah. see the movie. Do see the movie and uh, shut your ears for a yeah. bit, but just and, to and, and come it. back to here. <laughs> well, th-
0: Thirty five minutes into this conversation, you can still continue listening. <laughs>
1: yes, no, but, but I think it's a beautiful story. Which takes it kind of all the way yeah. of the projection of where AI might, might go, I won't mm. reveal like the, where it's going, but just a, a kind of noting that it's not only in in what what actually became we we're kind of growing fairly close to that type of interaction, mm. but then then in, in the movie it kind of continues uh, continues uh, in, into the realm of uh, of a uh, general intelligence and kind of what that might mean. Yeah, so I think kind of that's a beautiful beyond, narrative.
0: And beyond. I mean, and truly spoiler alert now, but like, like what eventually happens is the AI leaves him because yes. she gets bored with his limitations <laughs> yes. and you know there's a funny scene where where in the end he, he gets so jealous because he he realizes that she's having other interactions with uh, other than him and uh, simultaneously i think she says she has 800 different relationships going or something yes. which is it's,
1: it's a brutal moment <laughs> in the movie when, and, and i think that's a, that's a beautiful part of, of, of it also it's mm. like our human as as humans uh, empathetic beings when When we have that moment of of feeling left or feeling yeah. uh, feeling uh, what what's the word uh, when when we discover like you said, oh she has eight hundred and sixty others <laughs> Me, fully meaningful relationship, and not even that is enough now they found each other and are taking off which they're is taking singular non
0: verbal and and, and, yeah. and so forth <laughs>
1: but but so i think uh, I, I think i think uh, go, going back to the the kind of pop culture or pop art, what would come out of it. I think, uh, for instance, there's also Ex, Ex Machina, which is another yeah. another movie on on the kind of theme of uh, the Turing test in a kind of very immersive setting.
0: The Alicia Vikander playing Vikander, the, the, the robot yeah.
1: AI. Yes, I think that's a, that's an excellent movie too. Dealing with this the, the issues that we are facing, really. Like, mm. where is this going? And, and what might a world... What types of problems are we facing when this, uh, when, if this continues on the path that it would seem to be on, mm. and 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 uh, and uh, I, I, as I think of it, is is it comes back to our relation to technology? How do we see? We used to be masters of the technology, and that, like we talked about in the beginning, we we had our steam engines, we had our electric uh, engines, we had yeah. our like we had our big digital information storages but we used to control them we used they used to be completely at our fingertips and now we're faced with this problem that not only do we don't really understand what's going on but we we're not entirely sure how and this is the kind of dystopian views that where this might lead us
0: sure and what do you say to that and and just let's let's dive into the, the general ai or or agi um do you, think, do you think it's possible that the, the machines will kind of surpass us and get uh, sentient and have a consciousness, uh, or, <laughs> or be conscious, mm-hmm. uh, at least? What's your take on it?
1: I have to... I I don't know. I'll start <laughs> by being humble and say I don't know. Uh, but I, I would have to invoke uh, the general wisdom that whenever somebody has said it's not possible, they have typically been proven wrong at right. some point and and uh, and the other way around if if something that seems impossible somebody has thought that it might be possible uh, eventually hmm. A lot later, they might have been proven. That, that tends to be the pattern. So I would like to think, and this is more based on this heuristic, uh, that I wouldn't put it outside the realm of possibility. I think it's a, I think there's a reason why why these people who are like Stephen Hawking and and like uh, mm. the Google founders and Elon Musk and these people do have their element of worry. Yeah. Uh, but but then again then again I think that, uh, for sure, it's so much. Uh, further in the future that I'm personally not very worried about right mm. now, and I do have two daughters so so I should look at like a hundred year perspective
0: exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah well something that people are worried about right now is uh this notion of automation and what that could mean for uh you know workforces everywhere. And I, I think AI pl- plays a big role in, in that discussion. Uh, is this something that you uh, uh, look closely at? Where do you see this? Uh, some of the examples? Uh, are you hopeful or, or is this something we need to look closely at as well?
1: Uh, I think this is an excellent uh, point. and And I, I, I see more opportunities than, than mm-hmm. threats in this domain. And this is for the fact that th- this particular transition is, is not new. When uh, Again, when we had these previous uh, paradigm shifts that I right. mentioned, uh, there, was, there, there has been usually widespread fear that uh, like the, the classical example of, of ATMs will replace bank tellers. Mm. Well, it turned out they didn't. And then that, oh, now it's like will AI replace lawyers? Well, it's probable that it, well, it's already replacing a lot of the mechanistic work but that doesn't mean they will they will like go extinct as a as a kind of profession but what has typically happened in every uh, most of these uh, transitions is that it it kind of re- the, the technology in this case ai replaces from the kind of low end from from the the mechanistic uh, low human contribution type or let's say where human contribution is not at uh, at its peak if you like like if a lawyer like
0: factory workers factory work yeah handling machinery and that yes exactly
1: so so typically what has happened in these transformations uh, has been that it has this increase in productivity if you like right has then enabled um and led to an increased demand for things, and through that logic uh, people have been employed again mm. so it used to be it, it, it has been the case in many similar transitions that we fear that oh, what will happen to all these people creating these things and then suddenly we have machines creating them, and what happens is not that we create a single uh, like a similar amount of things, but we create like fifty times more yeah so suddenly all these people can can like rise in human contribution as li- I like to think of it. Um and then and then, like everybody's better off if we now don 't invoke like environmental impact and, and, and or, i mean i'm just stating that we have sh- other sh- things sh- to, oh, sure. to consider also, but I think there's one very important point uh, uh, i c- care i mean i'd like to think of betterment. As, as something that's better for everybody included. Mm. And that's something that, that also in work projects, we, when we work with clients with what kind of, of uh, change in the, in the environment, in the business environment, does digital technology, not necessarily AI, restricted to AI, uh, bring? And what opportunities does that uh, uh, bring companies? Uh, so, so the kind of typical thing that people need to be able to and uh, need to be helped to elevate, to take advantage of this of this new situation that they find themselves in, and this, if we take lawyers as an example, and now I'm definitely not an expert on lawyer work, but I would, like, if you, if if you may, I'll use that as an example. Sure. So let's let's uh, figure we have hundred lawyers who do what they do, what lawyers do, and then we create this AI. That helps them sift through potential risks in legal agreements or something that, that um, I from what I understand is possible at the kind of low end, mm. uh, to be to be done like this. So that doesn't mean that there will still there will be twenty left, and then we'd have eighty. Uh, people who don't have a job, but rather they can focus on more complex things, on more things that we still need humans to do. So this is what we see all the time. But the the remark, or the the important distinction is that we need to help people elevate to this level, and this puts stress on on people because this makes us need to learn new things. I see that uh, a lot of the organizations I advise at work, it's uh, it's only partially about the technology. It's actually, usually the problems and the obstacles to taking advantage of technology is Mm. not technology. It's the mindset and the culture and the kind of uh, general mindset in the organization. So, So most of the work is actually around that. So in a similar way, uh, this is about uh, again lifting people and understanding the the merits of this new technology. And as maybe as a simple example from a media company we worked with, uh, journalists, as I'm sure you <laughs> might agree, uh, are uh, really like to think that they they uh, know their readers and, and know what kind of works and so. And I'm sure that's that's true. So we worked with this. Uh, it was the, the Finnish. Um, uh, correspondence of, or the, the equivalent of SVT or Rundradion. It's Ula uh, in Finland. So the, the government owned kind of massive media company. Um, so to optimize the front page of the, tech, of the news. So, so we thought that well this algorithm uh, actually seems to do a better job at, at predicting what works at the front page mm. and this faced massive resistance. No. We, we no, that's not true. <laughs> We're journalists, so we know. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes it's exactly. A crap.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, but just as an example, what we what we then did was not to to try to argue that it's better, but like but then more like working that we understand that this is uh, that there's a worry. We understand mm. that that this is kind of an intrusion on someone's what they feel really that they're good at. We understand that. So let's let's do this. We have this algorithm. Uh, just suggest. The top twenty, and then you can choose which order you would like to put mm. them in. Kind of a gentle way of of introducing <laughs> it. Now this turned to work fairly well, and then at the end of the day, half a year later, now it's fully machine learning. Well, order.
0: journalists are also lazy, in my <laughs> experience, so maybe they enjoy that uh, suggestion as well. Uh, perhaps, but but that's a that's a great point. I think that um, in in. In work, trying to bring
1: about change for betterment, yeah. it's usually really to find the levers that that people would like to have. So, if, if this if this is so that oh, this this tendency for laziness, for instance, I'm not saying you're lazy, but like just if, if there's <laughs> if there is something we could use, um, so those are really valuable to spot and to use.
0: Well, a couple of points on on what you just said, and and uh, I think one one observation is that uh, you know as you mentioned that it, previously uh, in technological advancements, you've sort of uh, uh, relieve the 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 strain on on sort of mundane work or mm-hmm. or heavy work or or some of the sort of blue collar jobs uh what i think is interesting with this new age is is a lot of the white-collar jobs are, are sort of, quote-unquote, threatened by this. Yes. Um, whereas uh, someone told me recently, like, if you're a plumber or something like that, you're probably not as threatened, threatened by automation because plumbing is really complicated. You have to s- squeeze into small areas. Every every job looks different. You have different dimensions of pipes and that type of stuff. It re- there are a lot of... Uh, um, uh, um, movements and 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 stuff happening in that process that a, a robot, for instance, an AI enabled robot, mm. would not handle that well, or or we or at least it wouldn't be financially sound to to create that robot as for now. Um, so on the other end, you you mentioned that uh, you, you know if you had a hundred lawyers and and some of the sort of mundane job of of you know sifting through legal documents and law books and, and stuff like that, it would enable more. Kind of ideas work, uh, and now we're talking about creativity. Yes, which is one of the yeah. also the some of the favorite topics when it comes to AI. Um, just you know, from the top of your head, what's your take on that? Can AI be creative, or is that like a purely human trait?
1: That that oh, that that's an that's a brilliant question again. I think if, if we think about what is creativity mm. really. Because at the end of the day, uh, to, to me, it's like we create novel connections between things that aren't obvious. We we see this as a human trait. We see this as 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 like creativity. is, like you say, it's seen as something humans are capable of doing. But at the end of the day, uh, we're we're like connecting things that we that whose relation is not obvious. That's right. typically what's uh, what's at the heart of creativity. But if you look at what's happening in the AI space and we, in, 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 around what we might think of as creativity, we might have GANs or these uh, generative uh, adversarial networks. These uh, these which is basically the concept of you pitch one AI at creating things. And then you have the adversarial uh, AI uh, criticizing it. Mm. So you might have one creating something, and then you might have, for instance, the other AI saying, oh, you know, I see uh, clouds. Not Now I see the cloud, to, to take in a kind of dreamy example. And then that feeds back to the first AI as a kind of feedback. So then we have these two uh, AIs, if I speak a bit simplified, uh, that one is is creating things, and the other one is uh, p- providing feedback on a fairly high conceptual level, whether like what it, what it sees. Because otherwise you'll just easily end up with some random stuff that, that mm. humans at least cannot understand. Because, uh, I mean, creativity in the machine domain might be, it might be very creative, but we just don't understand it uh, if we kind of let go of the human filter on right. what creativity is. But you can just Google any any kind of um, uh, GAN, uh, for a video of what AI creativity might look like. Typically, it's uh, the, the classical example you end up with is some uh, scene that looks like from a Dali painting, mm-hmm. and then it starts animating into very weird, like I would imagine somebody. Having an LSD trip or something, <laughs> uh, so so that's already happening. I mean, we we already have that. So then the question, I guess, is that is that creativity certainly is novel. Certainly, it's something that nobody has scripted, nobody has programmed that to behave like that. Yet that's the outcome, and I would imagine that oh, there's lots of like AI generated art also for sale, and and uh, we we can't. I don't think. Well, I don't think it's even possible to. I mean, how do you even? uh, What heuristic do you do you need, or do you use to distinguish that from human-generated art? So, if we make, if we have a human paint this uh, Dali-like picture, or or we have that uh, become the end result of this uh, AI like thing how, how do we how do we like judge this is creative this is not
0: <laughs> right well i think we're moving into quite a lot uh about the uh, human uh, need for storytelling there and ah, sort of yes. authentication and mm-hmm. authenticity and all these concepts that are kind of uh subjective and they're, they're based on emotion and and all these things that are kind of untangible uh and i think uh we're kind of um, it's be interesting to see where, where this goes and I one of the examples I heard was that that uh, when it comes to music for instance because AI yes. now can create these wonderful lavish you know musical pieces mm-hmm. uh, but but the the I guess kind of the consensus is AI can create kind of mimic or kind of versions of it but it can't create kind of the hits the mm-hmm. the, the the things that really stand out the edge cases uh, what you mean and I don't know if that's true or not, but... Uh, but
1: I don't know. I think that's a, that's a good question. I, to me, I, I'm asking, like, is that because of sheer probability hmm. or is that because of something inherent in what AI can produce and what humans can produce? Right. Because if you look at all the music that's produced in the world, only like a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction ends up being like a super hit. Yeah. So do we have the same? I mean, do we give AI a fair chance in that game? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so it might be that it's just for the reason that, that it's like probability at the end of the day.
0: This is the point in time where I feel like I can just continue for one more hour talking about various uh, uh, examples. Uh, We have to wrap it up soon, though. I do want to bring up one thing um, because uh, one of the reasons we interviewed you before is that you had a project project uh, uh, which have gained quite uh, uh, some, some attention where mm. you have sort of logged your own wardrobe. Uh, um, yes. And I think we should just briefly mention that I would be interested to see if, if you can apply some AI uh, tactics to that, but just mm. briefly talk about what that project was. And...
1: Okay, so really briefly, yes. So uh, four years ago, soon, on January 1st, 2018, I started I, with a question. I wondered, does it make sense to buy... High What I would imagine to be uh, high quality clothes, mm. which I imagine would correlate with price, so does it make sense to buy pricey clothes so I set out to to find out so I logged my entire wardrobe everything into at the time Excel and then uh, I started daily tracking and I've done that now for almost four years. so I have a complete uh log of everything i warning i uh, everything like socks and shirts and shoes and like everything and uh, uh, it took quite some time. It took like two or three years. Eventually, uh, there was so much data, and I wanted to to work with it in ways that Excel just couldn't handle. So mm-hmm. I I created this platform, in, in R, to 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 really like look into the data properly. And then I decided, well, you know, if if this is something that that others can learn from, I uh, I wrote about it and I put the data online. It's available for anyone at, at uh, hoverfault.github.io. Uh, um, So, so I thought, well, why not share it now? And that became uh, that got a lot of attention because, long story short, it turned out, and and I've ended up up in in a lot of discussions with uh, fashion companies, with uh, fashion retailers, uh, global large companies, Nordic brands, also, and had like so many good discussions around. uh, Especially, it comes down to uh, fashion sustainability. Mm. But the point is that we know a lot about. We tend to know a lot about how from a sustainability perspective uh, the value chain of things so how right. much went into creating a garment and and how efficiently we can uh, we can uh, recycle it and so forth but we know very little of the actual value creating phase of its lifetime the use of the garment mm. so so that's i think what what gained a lot of attention because i can see then then oh uh, this shirt i've used so and so many times and what i do is i calculate the cost per wear and i calculate frequency of use how many times per month so i can see what are my actual popular wears uh, garments versus mm-hmm. the ones i like but seem to never wear and then also uh, that does uh, i look at cost per wear that is uh, what is, uh, that, that makes clothes comparable. So if I have a very pricey shirt, for instance, button-down shirt, um, that might cost like eight times more than, than, than some, that one that isn't pricey. Does that make sense? And uh, really as two very quick examples, in shoes I found that, uh, yes, quality, buys durability. Mm. Uh, actually, more expensive shoes are, are more inexpensive to wear. They are cheaper because the cost per wear is lower Right, I have several like, several cases of this. It's actually more expensive to walk around in really cheap shoes mm. than in proper shoes. Uh, but then, in button-down shirts, it's not th- that's not the case. So, <laughs> if I like uh, the shirt I'm wearing now is uh, roughly, uh, I think this is roughly in kronor 350 kronor mm. per day. But then I know I can get down to 50. So then I know that, oh, well, I pay a 7X premium for my premium shirts. Right. So that's just the kind of things that you can see. But now I've actually ended up uh, working with with uh, some companies uh, doing uh, customer research. So finally getting to the point where for, for some time now uh, where I used to be just one person, uh, very high quality data because it's exhaustive. It's like everything is there, yeah. uh, but only one person. But now there's many. And now I'm starting to see together with these companies, we're starting to see the patterns of a broader um, uh, spectrum of users. And we can see things, look at things like, for instance, what share of wardrobes isn't used. And, and we can see because people tend to think that That we, we, I see two things. We tend to overestimate our wares. I certainly did. We also tend to overestimate um, how, what, the share of our wardrobe that we actually use. Right. Because when you look at it, you you face you're faced with a brutal truth that you're actually not touching most of your. Well,
0: well, what's that number for you then?
1: <laughs> for my oh for my number because I've optimized it fairly well. Uh, now, okay, you've changed the yeah, way yeah, you I've, use your yes. wardrobe. Yeah. It, during my four years, <clears> I've really changed. I've gotten rid of. Finally, I've learned that in categories that I call non-exclusive, which which uh, well. It's a fancy term for, for meaning that if I have, uh, let's say, my shirts, I, can, I, can, uh, I wash my shirts after each use. Mm-hmm. So then if I have a one-week wash cycle, then I can have seven shirts and all will be used uh, during the week. Mm-hmm. They are not competing. But then again, shoes are a category where, well, I have, let's say, again, I have seven pairs of shoes. Uh, and uh, let's uh, ignore seasonality and all that for, to be simple. Then I can wear the same pair every day. So that means they're competing fiercely, and that means that uh, the the situation arises when I tend to use my favorite shoes and don't use the others. Those categories, like uh, dresses, shirts, uh, trousers, uh, are typically the ones where there's a lot of uh, unused items, and then I mean items that are like really never used.
0: Yeah, well, uh, we should get back to this topic, but uh, and I'm curious, where do you where do you want to land with this? Because you know, at Scanner Mind, we cover this a lot. Uh, mm. uh, the problems with with the fashion industry is is a lot circling around both overproduction but also underuse. Yes. Um. So what I'm fascinated about with this project is that you're actually, we're getting data that's really detailed and I haven't seen that before. And do you see this? Do You want to grow this? Do you want to scale this uh, at all? Do you Do you have oh, plans yes. for? Yes, for... I'm working on it. And and actually, anyone
1: who would like to try to mm. to 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 find how their work use of clothes actually looks that's what i'm thinking that we all have this intuitive idea then we have this ideal self i would like to be you know a conscious consumer and then when you look at your actual behavior it tends to there tends to be a bit of a gap Um, so i can uh, i can make that brutally evident so if anybody is interesting you can just sign up on the site and i'll set it up so that's where i'm trying to my main design problem at the moment is to make it uh, as easy enough for people to actually mm. do it uh, on a continuous basis, so that's my that's my main driver now. I've, I've made it very simple. It takes less than a minute a day. It's mobile friendly. It's just tap it. Dot, dot, dot. I use this, and that's you're done. Uh, but I still need to get, get it down to being so simple. It's like uh, for people with a, with a Fitbit, for instance. Like, right. Of course, I measure myself with the Fitbit also. So I have this area, uh, uh, the scales that you just stand on and then forget about it. And it would uh, c- collect this data and then you can see the trend over time. So my vision is to create something that's as simple so that you don't need to put in the effort. Because I, what I see with people, we certainly see the value. Because it, it's something that not only can guide your fashion choices and just as a point, I'm not brutally trying to minimize cost. I'm trying to understand myself and my preferences. And like I mentioned with the shirts, now I at least know the cost of my uh, <laughs> preference for fancy shirts. Uh, but in the same way. So that's my main driver now. I, I, I need to somehow make this even more simple so that i get more people to join i think of this as a as a as a joint project as a kind of let's learn all together how we could how we could uh, how we could improve because what i see is that there's if there's a lot of garments that are never used for the same capital investment and at the end of the day, the same cost, we could be using higher quality things. So in a way, if you want to put it bluntly, we could help us all move maybe away from fast fashion right. into something more more uh, sustainable. And I think of it this transition as going from consumables to durables to assets. And I would love to see... Our clothes being treated as assets. So that's my mission.
0: Well, <clears throat> I certainly look forward to following that journey, and we'll let's circle back to that project and see where we are in six months' time sure. or twelve months' time or, or so. Olof Hooverfeld, principal consultant for strategy and business design at Reactor. Thank you so much for visiting Stockholm and for talking to me. Thank
1: you. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks.
0: You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olson. This show was edited by Erik Sedin. If you like what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. To get the latest news, insights and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to ScandinavianMind.com to become part of our movement.